commence primary ignition. This is Star Wars. Look out! You may fire when ready. From the bright center of the galaxy, I'm Chris Kondak, and you're listening to Core World News, your homemade news show for in-depth coverage and analysis of the latest stories from around the galaxy. Now, for your news segment rundown for June 11th, 2020. Reading Raptor, Fistful of Baskar. But first, Jedi Temple Challenge debuts on Star Wars Kids. Now, for your host, Ben Granted Adam, to talk about Jedi Temple Challenge. <laughs> thank you, Grex Kondak. Yeah, and uh, Vince thank- McMahon at the end of that. Ooh, yeah, he seems to be very, it, very excited about this uh, game show for kids. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you, Grex Kondak, and thank you to all of you listening on the Hollow Net to this week's edition of Core World News. Uh, we all read, uh, you know, what, what do we stuff. read? <laughs> News. Stand by. Uh, it was, so I decided to r- write down what I wanted to say, oh, and okay. um, I wrote down gibberish. <laughs> I interrupted with Vince McMahon right away. That might have thrown you off. Ooh, no, it was so good. Was so good. <laughs> a lot of fragments you're looking at right now, aren't you? Just like... <laughs> it's like, like a whiteboard with string. <laughs> you, know, oh, you, you know what happened? Is I started writing the intro to the that reading Rathdar thing. And then, uh, and so that's what threw me up. You'll literally read anything that's on the teleprompter. <laughs> okay. Thank you to all of you listening on the hollow net to this week's edition of core world news. Grant, Adam, you both watched Jedi temple challenge. What were your initial takeaways from this new game show for kids? It's a game show for kids. Hey, <laughs> no, um, I, yeah, I mean, it's not meant for me, but that being said, I still actually got quite a bit out of it that I I thoroughly enjoyed, um, which I was shocked by. I was like equal parts enjoying and equal parts really uncomfortable about kids being awkward on television. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was great. I mean, I love uh, all the characters. I love uh, Ahmed Best's uh, Jedi Master character, Kaloran Beck. In the the second episode, he really steps into the the robes beautifully, and he's he's really found his place as this brilliant, brilliant game show host and Jedi Master, and you really do feel like it's part of the lore to a degree. And then also, his droid sidekick, 83, is fun. It's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really cool-looking droid. It looks like a protocol droid. It looks like probably Uh, a Jedi Jedi specific, like a temple protocol droid. It looks... Pretty interesting. Yeah. I haven't Voiced seen that design before. By Mary Holland, who is a comedian and um, an improv, um, improv, improv, improviser. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, but she's on Comedy Bang Bang a lot. So if you nice. listen to that, uh, you see her. So she's she's doing a lot of that stuff, I think, just off the off the fly. Um, yeah, I'm glad I watched the second one, too. I agree. I think I'm best really kind of fell into the role. I still laughed. I, I just shamely laughed when he said, use the force of your core to the kid who couldn't pull the rope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, Ooh, engage that's your some, core. Like, throwing shade at a at a twelve year old. <laughs> I just love when he lifts the balls with the force at one point. Like that is, I think he does that each time that obstacle course is used, and uh, it's yeah. pretty awesome to see. I love, I love that kind of practical force wielding magic that they kind of employ on that on that obstacle course. Uh, if if only I could be eleven again, guys. Like I would, I, I would do this right away. If this was at Disney, I would push all the kids out of the way. <laughs> I won't I won't age myself too much 
But I remember watching Double Dare as a kid on Nickelodeon. And like, mm-hmm. that's what this yeah. reminded me of, of just being like, as a kid, I wanted to be on Double Dare more than anything. And now I can imagine yeah. like, oh, I wanted to be on this. But like, I don't want to ruin who wins in, in each episode. But man, I can't imagine. How... What's that? There <laughs> no were spoiler. air quotes there. Just yeah. people at home. <laughs> um, wins air quotes. Air quotes. But like, it's it's a little of a bit of a heartbreaker to like because you can see who what you get when you win and then to be like no you didn't get it go away kid sorry because like, <laughs> like, I would I you as, get the rose Darren I know yeah, like, right? not to get the uh, not to get the lightsaber not to get the robes <laughs> I as a child if I went through that and got there and didn't get it I would have been not happy for the rest of my life I'd still be dealing with that trauma yeah unforgettable uh all in all fun uh I would love to see the show evolve. Like, I would love to see the show make it to Disney Plus, you know, get a bigger budget, um, you know, really carve out more lore to just explore in terms of the temple challenges and things like that. I know there's uh, I know Kevin Scott is involved in the writing for some of the the lore behind the temple yeah. challenges. I think he, he uh, really? divulged that on Twitter. And uh, wrote, so that's pretty. I think he wrote the holocron stuff. Did he write the holocron stuff in the so second, the second episode? episode, which reintroduces yeah. a fan favorite character in the background, which is Jackson? Which is yes. the rabbit, which is the, which is the green space rabbit from old EU comics oh is in there in the background. That's right. He's, and I got yeah. very excited. <laughs> Jackson. Oh, my yeah. goodness. That's uh, that's for the, the deep, deep core fans. Yeah. They also got some like legit names. Did you did you catch who does the voice of the dark side? Nope. No, I didn't. Oh, I didn't yes, I did. Right. Yeah, it was um, uh, Matt Lanter. Nope, Sam Whitwer. It's Darth oh, Maul Sam himself. Is oh, and wow. I was impressed because they actually get him to use his, use the kid's real name. So it's not just canned stuff. Like he has to record lines for each episode based on the kids that are there. Oh, I love that. Um, and you heard Yoda at the end, right? That's right. Yeah. And that's legit Frank Oz. That's not a no person doing a Yoda impression. They actually got Frank Oz to come out and record some. Well, come out is probably just go to his basement and speak into a microphone. But like, actually got him to record lines for this thing. <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, you know what else of your cat looks incredible adam yeah i know yeah. the other thing is that adam's cat is in a pose that says she's listening more intently than any person could listen yeah. to this podcast yeah it's the my cat is just constantly zoom bombing my everything <laughs> always yeah you can't see adam you can just see his cat sort of snuggling <laughs> at the microphone i, I so to go is where adam's go, head would be right? to go one level <laughs> deeper he's looking at the lights in the back of ben's ben on his video has lights going oh, on oh, and look he's, he's getting, obsessed getting me right with the lights and he's like can i chase ben's lights it's yeah, like no i'm like so. a state away but when I, my laptop gets destroyed from your cat cat's claws i know who to send the bill to <laughs> that's right wait what <laughs> Um, awesome. So what were we talking about? Talking uh, this about uh, Temple Challenge, but I think we, we were waiting to see more. I think we love it. Yeah. And I think we it's it's a fun little obstacle show. And uh, yeah, love it. It's great. I would love it if I was 12. And at the same time, I was also yelling the answers at the kids who were getting the answers wrong. And then reach out. <laughs> so I may have gotten I may just really miss sports. I think this thing <laughs> yeah. actually taught me how yeah. much I miss sports now during this because I, I was just like trying to figure out if I could call Twin Rivers Casino and place bets on these kids. And uh, I accidentally watched cornhole for an hour today. That's how like <laughs> desperate for sports I was. Um, but uh, this is a, a lovely program. It definitely, I don't know, put it on Disney Plus. Let's see this, you know, let's, let's yeah. put it with the big boys. Uh, you know, I'm a best deserves it. And uh, the show is great. So awesome. Yeah. <laughs>
Some uh, breaking news that dropped right before we started recording. Um, fresh off the presses at StarWars.com. Uh, something that I've been hoping for and and so excited that, that it's actually happening, which is they're doing, uh, from a certain point of view, The Empire Strikes Back. And it's going to hit bookshelves on November uh, 10th, I believe, later this year. Um, if those of you who don't remember... Um, or weren't aware of it, there's a one of the best books, in my opinion, from the new EU was from, uh, from the original from a certain point of view, which was 40 stories uh, from uh, A New Hope told yeah. from different characters' perspectives. Yeah, and so many of them are extraordinarily good. Like, I yeah. still think about them daily, like, or some mm-hmm. of them especially. Uh, I know Claudia Gray's, like, Master and Apprentice uh short story became a full form novel like eventually actually well obviously it's, it's far different from that short story but it's that she used that same title again and she explored obi-wan and and uh qui-gon's relationship you know in in a in a kind of a broader novel a, a yeah. bigger story and right. uh, really really fun stuff uh pablo hidalgo wrote an incredible story yeah in the in the a new hope uh from a certain point of view i think, I think dave filoni had one too that's right like, dave filoni yeah. had one they, yeah, that book, I, I was so surprised. I thought it was going to be a novelty. It was just like, oh, yeah, different point of view. Yeah, yeah. You know, and like, I didn't even think of it as being canon. And then it was, and then I read it. And uh, it's like, it's some of the most beautiful canon stories I've read. And I mean, maybe it's pulling on, you know, my heartstrings because it is a new hope. And, you know, it, it, it all takes place in the original Star Wars universe, which is, you know, for a certain age demographic that resonates more but uh i love these stories i love them so much and they they give vital vital background they all count they are you know they give i mean this is what uh we learned about yoda preferring leia to luke it was that came from from a certain point of view that that was a huge huge like flip of you know the whole perspective and lens that we looked on star wars and it ended up being you know really truthful and pertinent to rise of skywalker yeah and um yeah just super great i I can't wait to hear see what we learn from this one i mean because obviously empire is it's the movie man it's it's the you know you know, if I had to do one, one A, I know I just did my rankings and I ranked everyone number one, but um, and you can check it out on our discord server. But uh, the the first one was um, Empire Strikes Back because it's just it, it's just perfect Star Wars to me. Um, and so I can't wait to hear all these other stories. Yeah. Yeah, I just and what one of the things I loved about that original series is that it's actually similar to why I love um Stephen King short story collections. Oh, yes. Which is it allows the authors to do something fun and something that's a little out there. Like you can't necessarily publish a 400 page Star Wars book that right. that is like a, is that is humorous or or, you know, or just really like an internal a character's internal monologue, you know, but you can do that here. So I just love those like some of the stories really stand out. And then there's like wacky ones. Do you remember the one? And from a certain point of view, and, and forgive me because this literally just happened, so I, I didn't look up authors. But there's two two characters are sending droids back and forth to each other at, in the Death Star, 
and it's told yes. in like droid speak, like leet speak. Yeah. Like that was yeah. super creative, right? And yeah. we also get such diversity in storytellers in that book. And it looks yes. like I was just looking at the um at the hashtag uh, that you can check out right now, which is hashtag from a certain POV strikes back. And it's 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 some of the authors have announced, and it's a very diverse cast of authors, and a lot of and some first time Star Wars authors. And I'm so excited for that. And I think we'll get a full reveal of all the authors next Monday, they said, on the 16th. So we might yeah. be discussing that again in reading Rathar next week. Who is the person that wrote the Boba Fett POV? Because there was, a, in the um, certain point of view, there was a Boba Fett POV. And it's, like, some of the most, like, bad A, like, dialogue I've heard in Star Wars. And, like, for the audiobook, they hired John Hamm to deliver it for, like, yeah. as Boba Fett. And, and we've you actually, you know, a hundred episodes ago, we used it as um, some, you know, some audio in the episode. But uh, it's oh. it's great. Like, I, I just rewatched Mad Men. But like, it's it's fantastic. John Hamm is so great. And he's not who you'd pick for Boba Fett. But like for this purpose, at this point of view, at that point yeah. in time, it could sound like that. And it um, it was a really fun. Was uh, that experience. was that added muscle by Paul? Yes, Dini. by Paul Dini. Yeah. The the yeah. amazing Paul Thank Dini. You. If if, yeah. if people enjoy the Batman animated series from the nineties, which is actually one of my favorite, is actually yep. my Batman, to be honest. Um yeah. that's that's all Paul Dini. Like okay. and he did yeah. he he created Harlequin Harley Quinn. Like Harley Quinn is a Paul Dini creation. Oh, I didn't so know that. like yeah. Yeah, it comes from out of that, out of the um out of the Batman animated series. So yeah. Um such a great Batman writer. So you can see that, right? You can kind of see a bit of connection between yeah. Batman and Boba Fett in terms of that internal <laughs> yeah. monologue, like self-assurance. Yeah. So this isn't gonna be some like novelty thing. Like, get ready for some heavy hitting, like, dialogue and stories coming from the best authors in and out of the Star Wars universe in this book. It's yeah, th there's yeah. no way to underscore how amazing this book's going to be. And a lot of the stories from the the first from a certain point of view were were kind of blended seamless, seamlessly with A New Hope. And they kind of, uh, the scenes happened right before or right after a moment from the film. And it was, so it, it really does feel like it has that almost like canon quality where you can, you'll, next time you watch the film, you're going to be thinking about these short stories and where they're placed in the yeah. timeline as you watch the film. So they really do change the context. Like they do, I think, change your viewing of the films yeah. after you read the books, which is, which have, has only improved my viewing of each film. Like it's just, all the stories are so additive to the whole that makes the, of these. There's going to be someone setting the table for Darth Vader, wondering how Darth Vader is going to eat the food. In, uh, yeah, in that's Espen being like, how much now. food do you want? Uh, can you eat? Like, I don't understand this. Like there'll be a caterer's point of view probably. Yeah. Um, so the other thing I wanted to mention, cause it's on the star Wars. And I think it's, I think it's worth um, mentioning is that, uh, Star all the writers um, have got foregone compensation and are donating all of all of what they would be paid to first book, which is a to, I'm just going to steal the quote from Star Wars, a leading nonprofit that provides new books, learning materials and other essentials to educators and organizations serving children in need, um, which is great. And on top of that, Penguin Random House book is donating one hundred thousand dollars to the same charity. And Disney Lucasfilm is char uh, is donating one hundred thousand children books, children's books to that cause. OK, so. Nice, doing some good out Super there. Ad admirable. Very I'm also very choice. sad because I've been pitching and 
demanding to write the Wil- the Wilro Hood story. <laughs> Since yeah, we've started this podcast after this book comes out, I think I've mentioned it fifty times, <laughs> and I I have the whole treatment in my brain. I've I've delivered it here. It's, it's I'm sure the email is coming at them. They just need to find sugar, milk, eggs. Me. Yeah, it, it's his dead <laughs> wife that the Empire killed. Oh, okay. It was their All wedding right. gift, and he's oh, running. Right. And the only thing, the only possession he takes from from him <laughs> is is the ice cream maker his wife gave him for their twentieth anniversary. We find out that's just a regular container. In Manhattan. well, yeah, I know. Thank you, thanks, <laughs> yeah. John Favreau. Uh, yeah, Favreau used it as that was the con- <laughs> that ice cream maker was the container of the best car yeah. in Manhattan. <laughs> but but all but joking it aside, could also contain ice cream. You know. All joking aside, we are going to have a Wilro Hood chapter, I guarantee. There's got to be like a preamble with the Wampa, like <laughs> before it finds Lloyd. Right. Oh, you are so right. There's going to be a Wampa <laughs> chapter from the perspective of Wampa. Oh, man. I yeah, can, there's going to be a We're going to find out about Dax more than that. He just feels like he can take on the Empire yeah. all by himself right now. Like, oh, definitely definitely an Ugnaught chapter. There's 100% yep. going to be an Ugnaught chapter. Ugnaught chapter. Oh, well, there's definitely going to be a, um, uh Admiral Piet chapter yeah. for sure. Someone definitely fell in the carbon freezing chamber before Han fell in. Right. Han was used to, to test it. Are they going to canonize Darth Vader picking, finding 3PO's head in? Oh, right. Because oh, that happened in the comics. A Darth Vader chapter being like, oh, uh, and looking at that would be amazing. That yeah, would be the chapter. That's the and chapter. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and a Dengar chapter? A Dengar? Yeah, it's the POV yeah, we get is the Dengar. Of course it is, because Dengar. Yeah, they're going to elaborate on that bounty hunter scene. We're going to get like the moment before it, the moment after it, during it, and then possibly go into some of the bounty hunters. In I, I have a feeling they'll use Boba Fett if they use anyone there, but... Yeah, I, I will use it later, though, because they'll do because one of my favorite things also about the original is that it's told in chronological... The stories are told in chronological order. Yeah. So that's right. And we'll get an Ahsoka chapter, right? We'll get a chapter because we had one in the, from we had one in a certain point of view of what Ahsoka was up to during A New Hope. And we know she's alive. So we'll get a chapter of Ahsoka, probably written by uh, what's e. the author's Johnston. name? E. Yeah, E.K. Johnson, yeah. who, who is one of the people announced to write it. So I'm guessing she's probably writing the Ahsoka chapter. Guys, yeah. I'm, I'm really liking Queen's Peril, by the way. Lots, Me too. Lots of quarsh. Yeah, lots of quarsh. Like, 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 uh, a lot of yeah. quarsh, Panaka. A lot of quarsh. Oh, and Mary Ack, Panaka. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mary. I, I read the first few pages and I just decided, uh, for the sake of our conversation, I'm going to wa- read it at the end. My Kindle said this would take three hours to read. So that's accurate. It's a quick gonna, read. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to wait till next week so I have it fresh. But, uh, what I've read so far, very promising and will be, uh, looks great. I'm we'll reading a chapter next week, right? Uh, yeah, we'll cover Peril. that. Yeah, we're so yeah, we'll definitely we're going to cover Queen's Peril next week. So read yeah. it. Um, it won't take you long, and um, yeah, we'll talk about it next week. It'll be fun. Yeah. And now, the fistful of Beskar. All right, so we are catching up on episode five and six of Star Wars Gallery, uh, covering Mandalorian, which has been an awesome thrill ride for me. I've had so much fun with these episodes. Um, They were titled Practical and Process. Uh, Gentlemen, what were your takeaways from these two uh, very related episodes? Adam? I had two. Oh. Adam. <laughs> I had two uh, takeaways from the practical episode. I obviously loved 
Baby Yoda and uh, all that goes into and uh, that that puppet and the design of that puppet and they really went into the process of of concepting that pu- that puppet and really trying to nail that look of you know, a baby version of that species and it it was an iterative process and they eventually found you know a, a piece of concept art that they really liked so they sent that to the uh, the prop creators the prop makers the puppet makers and yeah. uh, then we got this beautiful little puppet that's yeah. iconic and timeless. Yeah. Like it is, they, they got it. So really, really, really so right. Beautiful. They got it. So right. Yeah. yeah they talk about baby. that. Like that, that little extra spark that you can't predict or plan for or create. It just somehow is like happenstance, right? It's kismet. It just kind of comes yeah. together in this way. Like they yeah. knew they had something really cute and they knew they had something that would work, but to become something like Ben, you said it's iconic. It's only been around for, it's been around for less than a year. <laughs> at this point and it is it is it will be in every like top 10 list of the 2020s of like what are 2010s like yeah memes i mean it just took, yeah. it, it like was a meme owner everywhere people who didn't know anything about star wars knew about the child um yeah. it, it was fantastic they just got it so right and or then baby. the way the baby <laughs> baby they all refer to him as baby and it is really it's interesting baby. Yeah. Right. And um and, but you could tell on the set that they had the same um feeling for this puppet that was a child that was the actor as all of us do. They were just like instantly enamored and they're like they couldn't wait to act with the child, which is yeah. so great. And the, yeah. Yeah. yeah, when it's right, love, it's great. Love, yeah. Yeah, I also love that the episode highlighted the uh, puppet uh, operators. Uh, I think there's three or three pop, I yeah. think there's three operators for both Baby Yoda and Quill, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, so. yeah, I think uh, you got an operator on the eyes, an operator on the ears, an operator on the overall movement, or maybe multiple operators in the overall movement. But um, really, really cool that they all had to block out their scenes and figure figure out, you know, when the ears are going to droop, when when the baby's going to turn its head, like, and, and and then reacting to the actors, so the actors feel fully immersed. That was like really, really cool to see and yeah. to see that behind the scenes footage. They uh, talked about it like they were a band. They were like, we're a band and we're like just playing a song. And yeah. like they, they got like in sync with each other and they knew how to do the stuff as like a team. And I mean, I'm in a band. So and I've been in a band for 25 years. So I like I understand like, oh, yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. They literally use the metaphor of jamming, right? Like yeah. jamming as a band. And like one of the things they mentioned, which Ben, being in a band, you you probably appreciate this. But like they mentioned this fact of like. As great as you mentioned, one person's turning the head, the other person's controlling the eyes, and you get into such sync that the person who's controlling the eyes starts leading the head, like knows when the right. person's going to turn yeah. their head and leads eyes, which is what humans do. Like it's 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 yeah, it's a ballet. It's a ballet. Yeah. Um, I, I also found it interesting that uh, Baby Yoda's ears seem to be more prehensile than Yoda's ears like and i think that adds to the realism like i think when you're having so many limbs on the 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 puppet move the puppet just feels more and more real like the more animatronics the more motion you're giving to that puppet the more real it feels and so the ears drooping at times just adds so much life to the puppet so so shout out to those ears yeah Yeah. no it's true (laughs) i was also really Uh, impressed with um with it, they basically took the Muppets approach to this, the Sesame Street approach, which is just like they when on when you're on set with a Muppet, which is what I've heard. I've never been on set with a Muppet. It's literally one of my dreams. I mean, but, yeah, we're all dying to be on set. Yeah. <laughs> but like they tell you to interact with the Muppets as if they're really there and they react 
as such. Like the people doing the voice and the things never break character. It's like method with the Muppets, right? Yeah. Right. And I remember I was literally listening to something about they did a special uh, when the Muppets were bought by Disney or brought into the family, and they did a special on TV, and they had all the out uh, like Michael Eisner was talking, trying to do this whole thing with Kermit. And the outtakes are the best part because Michael Eisner keeps messing up and like Kermit's still Kermit through the entire thing. And literally yeah. after the thing, he's like, Kermit turns to someone else, goes, can we get someone else to do this now? Like, it's just like it's but, but like that's what makes it real. Right. And I got that same yeah. sense of like there's a there's a story of Werner Herzog talking to baby Yoda, talking to the puppet to try to direct the puppet directing the puppet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not the puppeteers, the puppet. Right. And that process was all the more daunting with Quill because the the um, the actress inside the puppet could barely see the people yeah. around her had to just had to kind of give her uh, you know, feed her the lines through the through an earpiece or something so she could hear exactly what's happening in the scene. So she'd know the blocking and how to move in the moment that it just felt very difficult. And what we see on screen just feels so lifelike and organic. Like it's yeah, it it, it, it seemed like it was really difficult to to you know, accomplish that feat. But what we see on screen, it looks like, you know, yeah. seamless and you don't even, you wouldn't even know that there's three people, yeah. four people, five people behind that. And oh. I think something that John Travers said that is, that works really well and really points to kind of what filmmakers have, I think, learned in the past 20 years of, of digital effects, which is like you said, when we were using digital effects for the baby Yoda, we never allowed it to do anything it couldn't do as a right. puppet. Right, which adds to weirdly adds to his realism, right? By right. actually restricting no. it, it adds to his realism. Yeah, and that work that's that goes great with my biggest takeaway from this episode, which was the IG eleven, uh the janky IG eleven yes. maquette that was wheeled into shots and is actually it actually makes like I think the final cut of the, yeah. the episode a lot of the time. It it mm-hmm. looks so good and they loved how it moved. It moved in such a janky kind of like, you know, Harryhausen, you know, yeah. just really, really like uh, jarring kind of movement. Uh, and they kept that movement in even the CG version of the character. They yeah. wanted to just keep all that stuff, you know, orga- or I guess in line with what the puppet can do or what the maquette can do. And I thought that was that was really, really brave and interesting. And it works perfectly. It's exactly how I would think an IG unit would move. So, yeah, kudos to them. That was amazing. So, uh, yes, fantastic. They, I mean, essentially they, they kept very true to the original filmmaking of the original trilogy. Uh, what about process though? Cause that's much different They're You know, the, the way that they, they film this movie is on the cutting edge of everything. They have all these digital assets, uh, to, to draw from. Um, did you, you guys take anything away from the uh, process episode? Yeah, I absolutely loved that episode. I mean, that episode was really just about the planning that goes into shooting this show and basically the pre-visualization, the the stunt viz, virtual camera setups using motion capture technology, you know, doing choreographed fights, you know, on a a soundstage separate from the entire production of the show and then feeding that into a post-production process and then then shooting just the Mandalorian, you know, uh, uh, to, you know, frame by frame to to match that choreography that was shot off-site. Like, that is super interesting to me and uh i'd love to hear kathleen kennedy talk about this this yeah. process because uh she said you know talking about the she was talking about the permanence of of live action and how helpful it is to do as much previs as possible to assure when you're, you're shooting in principal photography you can nail like the complex action with minimal sets like you can you can get that shot you need 
and uh, just by doing all that previs work. And I was surprised by just the the uh, the kind of the previs visualization process was leagues beyond what I thought it was. I mean, they really they did even motion capture to block out the action scenes yeah. before shooting them, and really, really. I mean, a day of shooting, it seemed like they knew exactly where everything was going. And uh, I kind of found it interesting that John Favreau kind of spoke at one point. He was like, you know, like on set, you know, we, and you'll hear me or you'll hear the production staff say, like, this is what John wants. But really was, it really was conversations between us. And I was like, I was like, oh, when they're making the show, is it like, there's like a, there's like a set plan for kind of what was pre-visualized. And then these directors yeah. are coming in just to alter that, add more realism, add more performance, you know, and, and bring everything that they've learned, uh, you know, on film production sets to this show. And I thought that was really, really cool that although it was blocked out to a T and you knew exactly how everything had to operate, these directors were still giving free range to, you know, change the performances, figure out new ways to do the action in the moment. Deborah Chow and Rick Fumiya yeah. looked like they had, you know, designed whole scenes, you know, on their own. I mean, obviously it was probably pre-visualized, but uh, uh, I think it was episode three, Deborah Chow's episode, there's that massive shootout, and it seems like she really took control of that action set piece moment. And then Rick Fumiya designed, choreographed the entire fight scene on the prison, prison vessel in uh, episode five. Like he did that entire fight scene with those, those uh, guard droids. Like that yeah. was, and that that is one of my favorite fight scenes in the show. Like he, and then he was so. It seemed like he was solely responsible for that. And I, I've just now in my mind, he's a brilliant action director. Both of them are brilliant action directors in my mind. Probably could do any major, you know, huge big budget action movie after that, Mission Impossible or whatnot. I'm kind of amazed by and thinking back in the last three episodes of the show, uh, what was it? Technology, um, uh, practical and process. I don't know what the next episode is going to be, but these three together kind of illustrate why this show is groundbreaking. And I feel like I don't, maybe I'm overstating, but star Wars changed filmmaking, right? It showed what, what, what people can do, even with a relatively limited budget in terms of special effects and to get people into a world, they talk a bit about it in this episode, one of those episodes when they talk, I think it was Teiko Watiti talking about R2-D2 being all scuffed up and whatever. I really think that this show is going to change television, right? With the use yeah. of these three things together. And it really shows, I, I can only imagine how many people are in, in the, in the TV industry right now are watching these episodes. They probably know about this before we did, but watching these episodes with a notebook out, <laughs> just taking notes right. about like how to do this and make TV look like a movie. Yeah. yeah I, mean, well, I, know, I know Marvel's process is similar to this. It yeah. is how, I mean, you really understand the gravity that uh, John Favreau brings to this. And, you know, John Favreau doesn't get a director credit in any of these shows. He's just been like, no, I'm going to give it to my people. But, you know, he directed on probably all of these, like had some things. He's he's done writer credits, but generally writers don't get the credit for directing. They don't even want writers in the same room as the directors when they're doing yeah. this stuff. But he's like, I, this has really enhanced my view of John Favreau as far as just he's he's reached the summit. He's still, you know, at the bleeding edge of technology. When we look at this, I mean, it does make, put him in a very positive light, but it makes it look as though Mandalorian has now changed the whole paradigm, the whole gameplay of how 
movies and television is going to be made from here to four. If you don't have a volume, you're not really, you know, keeping up and you're not really maximizing your budget. Um, And it's, it was just great to hear from these directors on, on, on their process and how they're doing it. They understand previs. It's like, all right, so we're going to do this massive thing. We're going to see it all ahead of time digitally. And then once it's perfect digitally, which is cheaper somehow, you know, because I don't need to, you know, full res it, then right. we're going to shoot it um, in, in actuality. And then you have room for the directors to make some tweaks and changes um, on the set. But But all the hard work and all the tedious work has been taken care of. Yeah. I'm also impressed because unlike other directors, actually, the one I'm thinking of was name checked in one of these episodes. You can look it through to figure out who I'm about to talk pretty bad about. So I won't name names. But like Favreau is still telling really good stories while while playing around with technology. I think other uh, filmmakers, not anyone <laughs> in the Star Wars universe, um, but I really don't mean that uh, came across, uh, Pandora in the on Pandora. Are we talking? You mean about? Uh, searching for unatanium? Um, <laughs> ha, has has gotten so far up their own, you know what? Sometimes yeah. with just like pushing the technological envelope, which is amazing. Like what these filmmakers is do with the technology is amazing. But Cameron, <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right, you've pulled it out of me somehow. But they often lose the storytelling, right, because of that. Right. And I think John Favreau is like. I th- what I was thinking about is like there's so many shows that I watch because it's really great dialogue and storytelling. And there's other episodes I, I watch because they're really action packed. And when those action packed shows have dialogue, I'm like less talky talky, more smashy smashy. And then when the right. when the thoughtful episodes have really good dialogue and they have a fight scene, I'm like more talky talky, less smashy smashy. <laughs> yeah. And when it comes to like Mandalorian, to me, it's like this perfect blend of all those things. Yeah. Like I am always yeah. engrossed whether they're talking or they're fighting, whatever they're doing, I'm in for it. And I'll just, one thing I was, I was, I was telling Ben this before we started taping, I was deboning two chickens while I was watching these episodes. Cause I was making enchiladas for dinner tonight. <laughs> and, um, and so that takes about an hour. So I was thinking I could get through two episodes of this thing, but the second episode is only 18 minutes and my hands, you know, you know, wrist deep in chicken. So I can't stop it. And just start auto playing the Mandalorian. I'm like, all right, I'll watch that. So I watched yeah, the yeah. first half of the first episode because these, 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 these gallery episodes do such a good job of just every time I watch it, I want to just go and rewatch all eight episodes yeah. of the Mandalorian. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And back to Favreau's role. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure he's credited as an executive producer, but uh, when it comes to TV, the writer has all the power and mm-hmm. he's, he's basically the showrunner of this show. And right. he and Filoni seem like a it's like a duo show running process. Yes. And they're, they're both like they're meticulously looking at those scripts, you know, meticulously trying to find those perfect lines that feel like a Western, that feel like a samurai film, but also feel nuanced and fresh. And I think that I think it takes them a while to turn out those scripts. And I was very happy to hear at the very end that, like, the directors are very antsy about getting their hands on those scripts. And mm-hmm. uh, Rick Fumia looked look directly yeah. at Dave Filoni. And I was like, I think Dave Filoni is that last bar of that last tier of QA where he's like, is this Star Wars? And right. he yeah. will alter lines. And he's written beautiful, beautiful episodes of Rebels and Clone Wars. And uh and I think he's he's that he's that final filter for any Star Wars script or any Mandalorian script. And I think I think he makes it all the better. Like, I really love the dialogue in that show. I think it's really, really well written. And I think uh, it, it really does sound like Filoni. If you just if you listen without watching it, I think you'll you'll it'll sound like Rebels episode. It'll sound like a Clone Wars episode, but just yeah. a slightly more gritty, slightly more gritty. It does. It does yeah. give promise to that tone that they, you know, they talked about in the in the first place of this lone gunslinger. This guy, well, it's I mean, really beautiful. 
that also uh, brings us to a point. I mean, you know, not to brag or talk about previous episodes, but they're 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 talking about influences. That's a way that um, the process episodes started, and they were talking about Kurosawa, as we've been talking about as pillars and and westerns, which we're going to get into more westerns. But um, yeah, I mean, he he decided to draw from the influences of George Lucas instead of just being influenced by George Lucas. It's just an interesting tag team between John Favreau and uh, Dave Filoni. They're like BFFs. I mean, Filoni is this just like bottomless well of knowledge about Star Wars, and he does no blocking and he does no storytelling. Um, and and then you've got this like super experienced like this is what big bed budget movies how they work. And I've been on the front lines of technology from John Favreau. It's it's a power couple. It's like yeah. this really fantastic duo. You can't just pick one of them going forward, but you can see that Favreau's been giving a been given a really long leash to um, do amazing things with Star Wars. And and his yeah. you know the person that he's latched onto as a good friend of his is Filoni, which is the perfect complement for him. It's they're a symbiotic relationship um and it's so fun to see uh the mandalorian uh come through and i think this is you know tribute to its popularity is this merging of those two people yeah well i guess we're gonna uh log off now um thank you so much for listening to us it's been a real treat for us um and uh we'll talk to you next week May the force be with you. This is Grex Kondak signing off. For the latest breaking news, follow at Core World News on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you and good night. Remember, the force will be with you always. Always.